do appreciate the praise and worship team. You know, you don't have to have a praise and worship team to worship God, but it's really nice that you can have one to join with. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being here today. You had a choice, and I know it was a tough one because it's really nice outside. And this four-hour service won't... <laughs> no, we'll get you out to it. But it's tough. It's tough in upstate New York when the sun is shining and it's warm like that, not to just walk out of the house. You know, this happens to me sometimes. I'll walk out of here or out of the house, and the sun will be out, and I'll be like, ah, it does come up here. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a better choice to take the time with God no matter what's going on outside. God wants to do something inside. Not inside buildings, inside hearts. And cause us to grow more loving like him. More kind like him. More secure like he is. Man, security is so, so uh, missing in our society. There's no security. There's really no stability. Everything is shaking. But if you read your Bible, you'll know that's what God said. God's Word says in the last days, He's going to shake everything that can be shaken. Have you ever seen anybody use a jackhammer? In this building, when we were, we were rehabbing this building, where the kitchen is, you'd walk out there, and it was a loading dock, so it went up at an angle. And uh, we wanted it to be flat. Thought, no big deal. And since we were doing most of the work in the building, we, we rented a jackhammer. And I will tell you, that was not something I used. <laughs> so I thought, I'll take my turn. <laughs> it was crazy. But guess what? As soon as I let go of it, I was fine. When I grabbed it again... So if you're being shaken in these days, just understand, you better look at what you're holding on to. Because if we're holding on to the things of the world that are being shaken, we're going to be shaken. But if we are holding on to God, God, did we not sing this morning, God is unshakable? You know, it's really important that we just don't sing words. That we believe what we're singing. And, and we try, Shelby and the team tries very, very diligently to make sure the songs we sing are scripturally based, that they're in line with the word. So when you sing that, that's a profession of your faith if you will put faith with it. But if you're singing songs, it's just like a parrot talking. They don't know what they're saying. They don't care what they're saying. They're just doing something because they've always done it. And I am, please, please, please understand, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to help you understand how powerful the time of praise and worship is. It is a, it is a realignment for us with all the stuff that's coming at us. How many of you at times just get weighed down by all the things that you're hearing that are going on that are just awful. Man, I'm telling you. I put the other one up, but I fall. It's, it's I sometimes can't imagine the things that are going on. I hear it, and it's like, no, that can't be. But it is. And it's almost like it's hard to be surprised anymore by what's going on or really impacted because, you know, it's just another of all the rest of the others. And we become very callous to a lot of this stuff. 
But we don't realize that in the midst of all these things that are going on, that are pressing in and pressing down and stressing us out, that that continues to increase and increase and increase. And, and that's not God's will. God's not wanting you to be crushed under a burden, stressed beyond measure. He's the God of peace. He's the God of hope. He's the God of joy. And in the midst of all that stuff going on, God wants to, there's, there's something that happens when you scuba dive. When you scuba dive, you go down into depth, and what happens is the pressure of the water column above you, if you didn't equalize, it would crush you. It would blow out your eardrums. And yet, when you scuba dive, you take something with you to breathe in that environment so that environment no longer has that effect on you. And this world is filled with pressure. It's filled with fear. And God wants to equalize in you, being in you so that the pressure, the stress, the, the, the grind of the world doesn't get in you. It's around you, but the greater one is in you. The Bible says greater is he that's in you. Just think about that. Whatever you're facing, there's somebody greater that lives in you that wants to assist you that wants to bring you into that place of freedom and peace and liberty and hope and life abundant. But if, if as a scuba diver, I were to go down deep and never take a breath off my tank, I would experience all the pressure. But the moment I take that breath, it equalizes. It counteracts that pressure. God wants to be that one that counteracts all the stuff that you are exposed to every day. But you got to breathe. The Bible says we live and move and have our being in him. That's what counteracts it. That we're in this world, we're not of this world. And I don't know, I, I have no idea why the Lord is leading me to say this this morning. I don't know who needs it. I, 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 I do, I need it. But uh, I don't know who else needs it. But I'm telling you, things are not going to get better in the world. the world. The world is going to grow more dark, more difficult, more desperate. But that shouldn't be something that troubles us because God is with us. And, and if we're with God relying on God, then... We see throughout the Bible God bringing his people through really difficult, impossible situations. And you know what? He hasn't changed. If he did it back then, he can do it for you. But you need to believe it. Because there's a battle going on. And we make the choices of what we're going to receive from. If we're looking to the world as our source, we're going to receive from the world. If we're looking to God as our source, we'll receive from God. And if the world is getting darker, more desperate, and more difficult, then our lives, if we're looking to the world, are going to get that way. But if we're looking to God, we are going to be an anomaly, a peculiar person, as the Bible tells us. People are going to see you and say, how, how can you possibly have joy? How could you possibly have peace? How could you possibly have hope? I was talking to somebody this morning, and they were telling me how they go into, I think it was Arby's. And when they walk into Arby's, the staff there said, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And, and this person said, well, <laughs> why? Because you're always so full of joy and, and peace. And, and if they're noticing that, it's because they don't see it. And we're supposed to be that way everywhere we go. 
We are the ones that have abundant, abundant life. Not just life, life more abundant, overflowing life. So that when we go anywhere, that life of God overflows us. That peace of God overflows us. That joy of God overflows us. That security in Christ overflows us. And where you go, the kingdom of God is at hand. And people ought to take notice. And when they do, that very thing is an opportunity to be able to say to somebody, man, I'm so glad I, I, I bring some joy to you, but it's because I have so much joy in me. Well, that's really evident. Yeah, but it, you don't understand. The joy that I have, you can have too. I don't think I could. Yeah, you could. All you have to do is turn to the one who gives joy. Now, they could say, oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks. <laughs> oh my gosh, they called me a name. <laughs> Listen, we have a mandate from God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But understand, the doors that open, many times open because we're living the gospel. People are seeing Christ in us. And they're going to, it's not about like being a telemarketer trying to get somebody to get something they don't need. This is about helping people recognize what their need is and who can meet that need. And ultimately, they're going to be so thankful that you shared, but you first showed Jesus to them. You know, we're in the last days. The Lord could return any time. And we need to be reaching people. That's, that's, that's what God wants in this hour. We're seeing. We're seeing these revivals. Revival isn't for every place else but central New York. Now, I will tell you that many, many ministers say that the Northeast is the burned over zone. But I'm telling you right now, God wants to do a mighty, miraculous thing in the Northeast. And you have a part in it. I have a part in it. We have a part in it. You know, it's, it, it, it's this overflowing life. But part of the reason why we don't see that is because, because we as Christians have not engaged God the way we need to. Listen, I'm so glad that you're here today or you're online today and you've connected and taken this time. But I'm telling you, if this is all you do, through your whole week with the Lord, that's not going to cut it. Because God isn't waiting here on Sunday to meet with you. Now, he will meet with you here. But God wants to meet Monday at your kitchen table. And later on in your car. And at your job. God wants to meet with you everywhere all the time so that you have more than enough no matter what you run into that day. And not only for you, but you would have so much just like that person that went into Arby's. People are going to recognize God working in your life. And eventually, God's going to be able to use those seeds that have been planted to draw those people to him. Whether that person that went into Arby's is going to be the one that ends up praying with somebody, we don't know, but it doesn't matter. The Bible says, one sows, another waters, but God gives the increase. But we need to, we need to be aware. God, help me, help me to be aware of people that are ripe for harvest. And then just be led by God. Just be obedient to God. Don't, don't allow fear to paralyze you. To rob from you the privilege of sowing into another person's life. 
to rob from God the opportunity to impact somebody else. Lord, I, I, I want... I want to be more aware of you. I want to be more obedient to you. I want to be more available to you. And Father, I believe your people do. Help us, help us, help us to do that. Because you have so extravagantly and abundantly supplied in our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, this is part of the reason why we aren't as aware or available is because of how we interact with God. If God's just, you know, our buddy, our friend, which he is, he is a friend, but there's an aspect that has been missing to the body of Christ across the body, and especially in America. And that is that God is the closest that anyone can be to us. God is an ever-present help. God is our friend. But God is still God. And that aspect of God being God, he's our creator. And if we don't revere him, if we don't honor him, if we don't, we don't stand in awe of him, then we're missing a part that will really help engage our lives to be what God has for them to be. And we've been learning about the fear of the Lord, and we're, we've got more to go because we've been talking about a couple of aspects of the fear of, fear of the Lord. And, and I just want to refresh your minds in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27, in the New Living Translation, it says the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain it offers escape from the snares of death. So when we look at this, we all know that the enemy is out there every day trying to trip you up, right? Trying to knock you down, trying to take you out. And this says that the fear of the Lord offers escape from the snares of death. So God, when we fear God, God is offering something to us that we don't get any other way but fearing him and it offers us an escape an escape from the snares of death but what happens when somebody offers you something that's right you have to take it there's a part you have you have to receive from god you know who receives from god People that know they can't do it. People that know they shouldn't be in charge. They shouldn't be in control. Because if we think we can do it, if we think we know everything, if we think we're in charge, if we think we can control it, then we don't need anything from anybody else. And one of the biggest hindrances to us as Christians is being control freaks. Which... Humanly speaking, that's part of our human DNA. We want to be in control. And it's the worst thing for us as Christians. Because if we're in control, guess who's not? That's right. God is not going to push you out of the way and run your life. God will let you and me choose anything we want to choose, even though he knows it's going to be destructive. But he is not going to take over your life in control. But when you give over your life and look for him to control and direct and guide and govern and guard, then he can do what he can do. But until we do, we're doing our own thing. And, and how's that been working? <laughs> I, I can tell you for me, when I'm in control, it is... It is a train wreck. It always ends up that way. But it's almost like we keep going back to that because we forget how awesome God is. There's nothing he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't do. Why would we ever trust anybody but him? Because we're deceived. Because 
we're really not, not being that conscious and aware that he's right there with us. And this says the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Where do you get life from? What did Jesus come to give? Life and life more abundant. Life comes from God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, people out there, they're looking at stuff, and you, and you see things on all sorts of social media platforms where people are just, wow, this is great. Look at that. 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 How many of you know that you can be in immense pain and, and difficulties, and the phone rings, and you're like, hello? Those pictures out there are just your, hello. It's just a snapshot of what's going on. You don't see the devastation that's behind those pictures. And the enemy uses that as a masterful tool to make you feel like you don't have enough. When you've already got more than enough, you've got the Lord. But the question is, does the Lord have you? It's one thing to have Jesus. It's like, we'll just relate it to something that, that most people would love to have, a million dollars. Right? Anybody here not want a million dollars? Okay, I didn't think so. But if you had a suitcase, well, it'd probably be a duffel bag, of a million dollars, and you're walking along through uh, all sorts of things, and something comes up, and, and you need something, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I had enough money to buy that. And you walk by and, and go without it because you don't have enough money. But you're carrying this, this backpack, this, this bag of money. You've got more than enough to buy that a thousand times. But you just don't use what you have. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. We've got more than enough for anything and everything we face. It's just that we don't use what we have. Because we'll take care of it. We'll do it. We'll figure it out. We'll work it out. No, you won't. Man, we should have learned by now all our work, all our effort, all our figuring out, all our resources never are enough. But there's no lack with God. Now, he's not going to indulge our, our fleshy desires, but he'll, he'll provide for everything you need to be who God has for you to be and do what God has for you to do. Because anything other than that is off track and it's getting us into sin. And God wants you to enjoy life. But in enjoying life, you've got to understand where the life comes from. The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Isn't it interesting it said fountain and not a pool or a puddle? What's the difference between a puddle, a pool, and a fountain? Yeah, the fountain keeps flowing. It's always fresh. It never runs out. And I was reading this and I was reminded it was, took me back to eight years old living on the end of, at that time, Beach Street up near where Rock Park was. As a little kid, my parents bought the last house there. And Charlie Ankin's fence was there, and the cows were there. We'd go out and feed the cows all the time. Actually, we'd run down to Charlie's cornfield, and we'd grab Charlie's corn and go feed Charlie's cows. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, there were kids around, and, and we were always playing. And one of the things that happened was... My dad got something for us that didn't seem initially like a very big deal. But it was a, a little fountain that you would screw on to the faucet that came out of the house and then screw the hose on after it. Now, you may say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the big deal. Have you ever drank water out of a hose? Okay, so some of you have. You know, hose water is not the best water. 
And, and as kids, that's the only thing we had, we had available. Mom wasn't going to let us in the house after we had played and done all this stuff and were filthy. Dad was going to hose us down before we ever hit the house. But we'd drink hose water, and we knew, man, I'm, I don't want to drink yet. I know what it's going to taste like. And you get to that place where you are so thirsty. You've been sweating all day. You're dirty, grimy, and you've got to have a drink. And so you go over to the hose, and you turn it on with great understanding of what's going to be there. And you drink out of the hose, and it's like, okay, I can't take any more of that. But when dad got this fountain, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was simple, not profound, but when you got the water out of the fountain, it tasted like water. It was cool. It didn't smell. It was refreshing. And, and we, we found out there were times the kids would just come over to our house to drink out of the fountain. And I'm telling you, God wants you to drink from the fountain. This fountain he has that is life-giving. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. You can drink from the puddle or the sewer of the world. Or you can drink from the fountain because you choose to fear God, to honor God, to reverence God. When we honor, when we reverence, when we highly esteem God, we talked about preeminent adoration and how the fear of the Lord is preeminent adoration and awe. And we've been just talking about preeminent adoration where the preeminent part is that he is first in our priorities. Every priority comes after God. He is first in what we value and treasure. He is first in what influences us. Now, when I say that, I recognize my life doesn't embody that yet, but that's what I want to move towards. And then adoration is fervent, devoted love and worship of God. All those things are good. We can do those things. There, there, there's no fear in that. It's just adjustment. We've got to shift gears, shift lanes. I can't keep prioritizing my work. I can't keep prioritizing my feelings. I can't keep prioritizing, and you can put anything in there, I need to shift priorities. Now, God, I have to prioritize God. He's got to be in the number one priority. Then I have to value God. You know, you prioritize what you value. Whatever is valuable in your life, it, it comes before other things. And whatever is the priority and what you value influences you more than anything else. This is happening in all of our lives. It's just that it's not happening the way it should. Because we've lived in this world and we've made all these temporal, temporary, earthly things the priority over what's eternal. And when we live for just this life, we live so far below what God has for us. We get robbed of so many things Jesus died to give us. And we're walking around with that duffel bag of money. And money is a poor example for what God is, but that's what we relate to many times. If I just had the money, I could do anything. If you just have Jesus, you can do anything. And we walk through this life wishing we could, wishing we could, oh, I, I oh, who's with you? Who's in you? All the stuff you see, he created it. He's still creating things. There's nothing he can't do. But because we don't fear, because we don't honor, because we don't reverence, we, we, we don't esteem him highly. Because we haven't set him as the priority and the greatest value, and the greatest influence, and the one that we just absolutely are passionately 
devoted in love and worship of because we're devoted and loving a lot of other things. There are a lot of other things in our life that we're just so devoted to because we don't have time for other things. We, we have time for that. But it's shifting gears. It's making a change. It's, it's choosing really what is lasting instead of what is temporary. This life is like a vapor. Eternity never ends. We should be living like we're already in eternity. Because I'm telling you, in heaven, there's not anything that takes the attention away from God. So the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain and offers escape from the snares of death. And Proverbs 16, verse 6 in the Amplified, the last part of it says this. By the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. You know, the times that we get tempted and we get pulled away and pulled into sin, and what does sin produce in our lives? death and no no truly sane person would choose to sin now understand until we come to to receiving christ as our lord our master we are destined to live a life of sin we can't break free of that we're under the sin that came in through Adam and Eve. But once we receive Christ as our Lord, we don't have to sin. Every time we sin, we choose to sin. And we choose to sin because we don't recognize where it ends. All we look at is that first little bit of sin. And the Bible says... There is pleasure for a season in sin. There's a little bit of pleasure in every bit of sin. But what goes beyond the little bit is death that continues to consume things in our lives because we continue to allow sin. But the fear of the Lord, when, when we have a reverent fear of God, a worshipful fear of God. We step out of the sin we've been in. Why? Because God's been a priority to us. God's been more valuable to us. God is influencing us more. We fervently, devotedly love and worship God more than we love and worship ourselves or the sin. So we step out of it, but also it, it has this second aspect to it. When we fear the Lord, we avoid sin. It's just like the first, first scripture we looked at. God will guide you through this path in life, and you won't get snared by the sins that the enemy has set for you. Because he's setting them all the time. Just like God is setting you up for good. Do you believe God's setting you up for good all the time? Yeah. I hope you do, because he is. Just like God sets you up for, for good all the time, the enemy sets you up for sin all the time. And you and I choose. No one makes us do any of this except we choose. But the enemy is so crafty and so masterful at presenting the pleasure of sin if you just, this is what you'll get. But he knows it's gonna entail a price. There's a cost to it that you don't look at because he kind of hides it and focuses us on, oh, that'll be fun, that'll be good, that'll be great, that'll be nice. I really want to have that. But if it's pulling us away from God, it's not going to bring life. So part of the reason why we don't, we don't 
We don't turn from sin. We don't press back when we're tempted. We don't submit ourselves to God and then resist the enemy and he flees. We get kind of tangled up. And part of the reason why we get tangled up is we don't think about the fact that God hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners. He hates sin. And God is going to judge all sin. Sin robs from us. There are opportunities that we will not be able to have if we continue in sin. And part of the reason why we continue in sin is because, you know, God's there and he loves us and he'll always forgive us and we don't recognize the last part of the fear of the Lord. It's the preeminent adoration and awe. We live in a world that's not awed by anything. Now, when I was growing up, there were all sorts of things happening that were like, wow. How many channels do you have on your TV? Uh, too many to count. Hundreds, correct? Growing up, three. They ended at midnight. Had a little thing on the TV screen. And guess what? You had to walk up to the TV to turn to each one of the, the channels and to put the volume up. And when we watched TV, my mom and dad sat there. My brother and I were the channel changer or the volume control. Now, yeah, my dad could have done away with us and had a controller. To have hundreds, if not thousands, of opportunities to watch things, it's just normal. That, that doesn't cause anybody to be awed unless you consider what was before. When we went out to play as kids, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying, you know, I walked uphill to school and uphill back from school. <laughs> In the snow. Chased by wolves. <laughs> I'm trying to help you understand that back when, when and you know, I'm, I'm old. Thank you so much for not saying amen. <laughs> but, but when I was growing up, when, when we went out to play, man, we went out to play because there's nothing to play with in the house. No video games, no none of that. And most of us didn't have much of anything. We had bicycles. As boys, we had sticks that were guns. Now, I know, <gasps> guns. Don't, don't get freaked out. You know, people, people were respectful of each other, considerate of each other. There, there was a, a, an honor that people showed to each other. But there was an awe that went on. Things were happening that had never happened before. I mean, my grandmother had never flown on a plane, finally flew on a plane because it wasn't available. People do all sorts of things all the time that are just amazing, and yet it's every day. So we are living in a, in a society that is aweless, except for one aspect of awe. The awful aspect of awe. You know, that word awe, we have two words that, that really come from that root. Awesome and awful. And today, we don't hear a lot of things. Now, as, as an old guy, part of my vocabulary is still stuck in me. And, and I will say to things, you know, the boys will call, we'll talk, and I'll be like, that was awesome. They're like, Dad. <laughs> and, and yet, it isn't. It's not awesome like God's awesome. There's nobody awesome like God. And we've lost the awe 
in our society, but we've lost the awe of God. In Psalm 33, verse 8, the Word of God, not what I think, the Word of God says this, let all the earth fear the Lord, revere and worship Him. Let all the inhabitants, who does that include? Every human being. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Stand in awe of him. Take your breath away. Does Does God take your breath away? Does God leave you humbled to the floor? Does God just blow your mind? Because if he doesn't, there's something wrong. Because he is a mind-blowing God. He is a God that will leave you on the floor, not in a bad way. It's just you're so overwhelmed. Oh, my gosh, the creator, the creator, the creator of everything. And, and, and we as human beings, look what we created. Look, we created a chair. <laughs> and look, we created this building. Good on us. Yeah, but you didn't make the stuff that you used to create it. He doesn't just create things. He creates the stuff that he uses to make it. Nobody does that. Everything's seen and unseen. This is the creator of the universe. And we kind of just, hey, you know what? I need you to do something for me today. We treat him like our errand boy. We treat him like he needs to do for us what we want him to do. Oh, please. Don't push back on something that's true. And we don't give him the honor and the reverence. We don't have the awe of him that we should. And if that doesn't come back to our lives as Christians, we're going to live well below what God intended. Like we are. God wants all his people healed. God wants all his people whole. God wants all his people prosperous. Now, I'm not talking just about money. There's more to prosperity than money. Money is a part of it, but it's not the biggest part of it. The Bible says that I desire that you prosper and be in health just like your soul prospers. But these things aren't part of our lives because there is not this, and it's not sufficient, this awe, awe of God. This awe of God, we're supposed to have it. We're supposed to stand in awe of God. You know, rarely, rarely do we show honor. I had it happen today. I just said, no, no. But, but I went over to talk to somebody to shake their hand, and they stood up. Why? Because it's a show of respect. It's a show of honor. One of the things that I do all the time, and I'm not patting myself on the back, I just, it's something that God's put in me when I go to a doctor And the doctor comes in the room that I'm in, I will stand up. And more times than not, initially they'll be like, why are you standing? Because you came in, you're the doctor. I, I appreciate you, I appreciate your, your education, I appreciate your experience and your, your abilities, and I just want you to know, I honor you for that. They're like, you don't have to stand up, but I do. And this is why. Because if I just sit down and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk to you. Then I'm not going to 
have an expectation like I would if I had honor for that person. That honor emotes an expectation of that person. We should have an expectation of God all the time. And the expectation we have of God should be absolutely, completely good and amazingly exceeding anything we could imagine or dream. The Bible says God will do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Does that stir any awe? It should. Above anything we can ask or think. I'm like, in what? If that's who God is and that's how he wants to relate to me, why is it not happening? Because I'm not in awe of him. I don't wait on him. I tell him what he needs to do, when he needs to do it. Not realizing his ways are higher than mine. His ways are better than mine. They're not just good. They're best all the time. And yet I don't have the awe of God that I would say, hey, Lord, my eyes are on you. My trust is in you. I'm not trusting in anything else but you. And all of a sudden, when you do that, when you begin to really trust God and have this awe of God, there's something that happens inside. It just settles you down. When you know God is the only one, and yet he's for you, he can do it all. All of a sudden, this, this security, this stability, this peace... Even this joy happens in some of the worst situations because your situations aren't what govern you. God does. God is the one. But we have to be in awe of him. And when, when we talk about awe, it's, it's something that there's a wonder to, there's a mystery to, there's a bigness, a, a, a magnificence to. That, that isn't even fully comprehensible. It's beyond. In Psalm 89, verse 7, you know, we, we don't have, we, we, we don't see into the spirit realm. We don't have the, the awareness of what's going on. But there are, there are, Angels. Do you know in the Bible when angels would show up, people would fall on their face because they were so awesome. But look at what the scripture says. It says, the highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. These are the ones that are the closest, the most interactive, intimate with God, and they are in awe of God, even though they are amazing. You know, angels aren't these little kids in diapers with little wings on the back of their, their shoulder blades. Do you know that angels have six wings? There's an angel that came and destroyed thousands that were opposed to Israel. They are powerful. They are awesome, but as powerful and as awesome as they are, they stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. And guess what? The angels aren't just surrounding God's throne right now. There are saints that are up there, and they are aware of how awesome God is. And we need to become aware so that our lives are so secure, so stable. But we are not just messing with God. We aren't just playing with God. Well, you know, God, today I want you... When you approach God, yes, he is welcoming. 
He is desiring to interact with us, but don't ever forget that he's God. And we have. We've been taught so long for so many years about the love of God and about the goodness of God and about the patience of God and about the kindness of God, which is all true. But it's unbalanced because we haven't talked about the awe of God the magnificence of God. The fact that God is holy. If you stood with somebody that knew everything that was going on in your heart and your mind, how would you feel? Seriously, how would you feel? Would you be like, yeah, no problem? Or would you be like, oh, man, I can't believe. Oh. What if these screens right now started to put up everything you were thinking and everything you were doing? Huh? It would just be like... <sighs> we have relationship with an awesome God, with a holy God. He knows all of our sin. He loves us, but he knows our sin. And our sin is an affront to him. We've asked him to be Lord of our lives, and yet we live in the sewer of the world. And that very sin that we indulge in robs us of the provision that God has for us. And listen to me. Someday we will answer for that. We'll give an answer for why we chose to indulge in sin and not walk in what God had and didn't accomplish what God intended. Now, he's not going to punish us for it. But if you really are aware and you care about somebody and you don't fulfill what they had for you to fulfill, it breaks your heart. And we should have our hearts broken in ways where we begin to hate sin like God hates sin. And we love God more than anything else. That we have such a, he has such preeminence in our life. And we adore him so much, but we're so in awe of God. This should never happen. That God, who is everything, has everything, can do everything, wants to have a relationship with us. What does he gain from us? He's got it all. But he's chosen. He chose to love us. Human beings. The least we can do is to be loving and faithful and attentive and available and submissive and adoring and amazed by him. But we don't get amazed by much anything these days. And when we do, it's so far below the amazing things that God is and can do. In Psalm 119, verse 120, it says, I shiver in awe before you. Your decisions leave me speechless with reverence. Now that's, that's the message translation. The Amplified says this, my flesh trembles and shudders. for fear and reverential worship, worshipful awe of you, and I am afraid and dread of your judgments. Like I said before, God, God has this reckoning that's coming. The Bible says there is a time appointed to every man to die and then the judgment. There is an accounting you and I, we have a life. 
But who did we give our life to? We asked Jesus to be Lord of our life. All right? There, there is a reckoning coming to every human being, saved and unsaved. And as saved people, we have given our life to the Lord. We have said, you are our master. Come in, take over. And then we take it back. I, I can do this. Don't, don't mess with that area of my life. And one day we're going to go to the owner, our owner, our master. And we're going to give an account. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I haven't done everything God wanted me to do. And I know I've done things he hasn't wanted me to do. And I'm going to give an account. Now, understand, he's not going to berate me. But I will tell you the worst punishment I can have is to have somebody I love be hurt by what I did. And show me what the potential was and what the opportunities were, and then I didn't do it for them. I love my wife. And when I do something that hurts her, it just breaks me. Now, I don't want you to think that that's always the way. Sometimes I'm just a jerk like you are. <laughs> and, and I just do jerky things. And later on, when I come to my sanity, I realize I've hurt my wife, and I think, you know, I can't do that. I, 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 and I have to go to her and say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And she does, and God will. But just to hurt the one that you love so much, that has done so much for you. You know, standing before Jesus, seeing the, the nails, scars in his hands, the scars on his head from the crown of thorns, the scar on his side and on his feet, and, and realizing he went through all of that that he didn't have to do because he didn't deserve it. He went through that for me. He experienced all that pain, and I would not put myself through a little bit of discomfort to deny myself of doing something I wanted to do that he didn't want me to do. That's going to crush me. But that's why the Bible says that in heaven, he's going to wipe away every tear. Because at that judgment, at that revealing, we're going to find out things that we had the opportunity to do and to be and didn't do it because we were too interested in our own selves and didn't have an awe of God. When it's all said and done, he's going to wipe away the tears. And it's going to be eternity in his presence, in the presence of the Lord. There is joy forevermore. But there is not, there is a moment in time where we're going to give an account. It's not a punishment. But it is an accountability. And if we walk in the, the awe and the fear of God, Things, things will adjust, they'll change. And, and in that, that uh, definition I gave you of, of uh, the fear of the Lord, it was the preeminent adoration, and I've shared those two with you. And awe, it's about veneration, exaltation, trepidation, and magnification. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks. But when, when people are in awe of God, things change. Things change radically in their lives. And... Uh, Just to give you an example, in the book of Jonah, Jonah was running from God. He said, I fear God, but he didn't because he did what he wanted to do. There was no awe of God. There was just a desire for him not to have to do what God said because he didn't like the people God was sending him to. And so he, he got on a ship and he, a storm came up, and you, you know the story. The storm came up, and it was a massive storm, and they started throwing cargo over from the ship and, and finally got to nothing left. And, and Jonah owned up and said, you know, I fear God, but I'm running from God. That's an oxymoron. But anyways, 
he said, throw me over. And they threw him over, and immediately the storm stopped. This is a storm that threatened their lives. They were, they were afraid for their lives. And in verse, verse 16, it says, the sailors were impressed, no longer terrified by the sea, but in awe of God. There was a terror that they had here, and then there became an awe of God when what was terrorizing them was taken care of. And it impacted their lives. There was an awe of God, and they worshiped God, and they offered a sacrifice and made vows to God. These people changed immediately. Their lives changed. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses has been up on the mountain. God's come to Mount Sinai. He's come to give... Israel, the Ten Commandments, he comes down in a cloud, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's all sorts of things. Moses warns Israel, we've got to go out, we've got to meet with God. And he said, but don't touch the mountain, don't let any of the animals go to the mountain, because if you do, your presence will be no more, their presence will be no more, because you can't approach God because of the sin. And so he goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses does, and, and he comes back down and he, he delivers the Ten Commandments and he says to them, don't be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe in you. Now, when they were standing at that mountain with all this going on, they were like, <gasps> you know, there are times you just don't want to do the wrong thing. We just are so impressed by somebody. We, we want to be around them, but we, we're concerned that while we're around them, we'll do the wrong thing and they'll say, leave. You know, I've been around people that I was, I was just, wow. And I just wanted to do the right things. I wanted to do what was, what was proper. And he wanted to instill in them a deep and reverent awe that you won't sin. Part of the thing that does not compute in our lives, we, we continue to go into sin, is because we don't awe God. We aren't in awe of God. We haven't, haven't had him as the preeminent one in our life. He hasn't been the one we adore more than anyone else. And this is something that is, is shown throughout the Bible. Without the awe of God, we tend to just kind of migrate into things we want because we aren't so much desiring to honor and esteem and adore God. Think about the fact that he's with you all the time. Every time I sin, guess what I have Holy Spirit in me experiencing sin. And you may say, well, you know, this is a really heavy service and I don't like it. I want one of those upbeat things, you know, where I can walk out of here on cloud nine. Sometimes you have to pull the cloud out from under your feet. Get back to earth and understand there's some things that really need to change. And this is one of them. If we want to see revival, if we want to see a move of God, the people that have experienced that kind of thing were absolutely people that were in awe of God, had a fear of God, have reverence and respect of God. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I don't know. I don't know where you are or what's going on. And I know God cares about you and God loves you and God wants the best for you, but God can't, can't and won't override what you're choosing. And some we need to turn back. And some we need to turn over. And some we just need to begin to have a relationship. And if you've never had a relationship with God, this is not about religion. This is about relationship. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about living a life with him and for him. 
And if you have never turned your life over to the Lord, I invite you to pray with me today. I'm going to invite everybody to pray. But make this a prayer from your heart. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus, who was sinless and went to the cross to die for my sin and was raised from the dead, glorious and victorious, now alive in heaven. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I need a Savior. I ask you to come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you, Lord, for this new beginning. I will learn of you. I will love you. I will lean on you, and I will trust you, growing in your grace and your knowledge. Thank you, Lord, for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.